You're about to enjoy a bonus clip from the Stories from Retirement podcast, where we get into the backstory and career of Andy from episode number one. So many of Andy's qualities that shine through in our discussion, his energy, his drive, his charisma, passion, the gratefulness, joy, and love you hear from him come from the foundation of his life, his family, and his career. I hope you are as inspired by Andy's story as I was. Please enjoy my conversation with Andy. Why don't you give us all just kind of a, a background on yourself? Sure. Well, um, I am almost 58 years old. I'll be 58 in uh, June. Um, I will say my wife is just a tad bit older than I am, but uh, we <laughs> met back when we were, I think, 13, so we've been together a long time. She Incredible. Likes to, she likes to joke that once she turns the age, because she's literally six months older than me, once she turns the age, then I become that age as well. So I have two kids that are grown, a uh, daughter uh, who went to Brown University and now is uh, in New York working in the theater business. Uh, doing very well, and I have a son uh, who went to uh, actually Grand Valley local school, uh, graduated with hospitality and tourism, got his master's in uh, sustainable tourism, and uh, interesting enough, came out and hit COVID. So here he is, right. all travel shut down. So uh, it's been fun. Well, he's it's getting been, ready to boom. Yeah, exactly. So uh, he's been trying to figure it out, but it's nice. Um, both of them have, uh, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend. So that's nice as a parent. You know, you're always looking out for their future. Probably the biggest thing when we start talking about this, probably the biggest thing that you are concerned with besides your own personal health is really their, their happiness. And so we'll talk, right. I think, more about that. But, yeah, so I'm blessed from that perspective. And, uh, and he's in Michigan uh, in our house up there. And then we just became Florida citizens this year. Uh, We'll get into the financial stuff just a wee bit, I know, but one of the benefits is no more state income tax, which was a benefit right. of being in Florida. Yeah. So uh, no more winters for me except when I choose, which is to go out skiing. Besides that, we try and stay in the warm climate and do all the fun stuff there. I hear you on that. I don't know how many more winters I can take here. You know, we're both from, from Michigan, from the Detroit area, and... Uh, you know, I just retired in January, and I've, I've taken uh, three trips so far not long trips, about two and a half weeks is the longest. And when I come back to the winter, it's, it's kind of fun for a little bit. And then you get a, a number of those gray days in a row and you're inside a lot. So I wonder, you know, I did not make the decision to buy a place before retiring down south. We do have a place in Mexico, but we're going to exit that. But this is not about me so much, but mm -hmm. very interested in that. It sounds like you're, you're happy with your snowbird style right away. Yeah, definitely. And I think you mentioned the key word gray. And I, I don't know whether it affects all humans. I know it affects my family. In fact, I've had a lot of friends recently from Michigan come down because they just want to get out of that gray and get out of that cold. Um, when you wake up and there's sunshine, uh, two things happen. One, you feel better. Two, you don't necessarily want to go to work. That's the, that's the hard part if you're not working. I mean, if you are working, it's like, oh, it's beautiful right. out. I want to do something else. But when you're when you're retired, it's fantastic. It just sets you up for a great day. So I think that has a lot on mental state uh, is being in the warm. And I do know you, you really love, you know, going to Mexico and doing that. So, um, hey, a little bit more of that for a, a couple more months uh, goes a long way. All right. Well, why don't we switch into career a little bit? Why don't, why don't you uh, tell everybody about what you did for work when you were working? 
Sure. Well, I'll start kind of. I'll start at the very beginning and start kind beginning, of set, yeah. the, kind of set the tone for, you know, how I was raised and kind of my work ethic and and you know you and I have worked together at two different companies and so you know that but uh, we'll we'll chat more about it. But I literally started working when I was eight years old. Uh, I started uh, get, having a paper out, and as it turns out. Um, you free press or the news? I, I was the news, and okay, you know, at eight, too. you really couldn't have a paper out. But my friends were older, so we split it. And okay. you know, I, as the as the male person says, and as the paper person says, we deliver rain, shines, uh, sleet, or, or snow. So, uh, but it was fun. Those big heavy duties with the uh, the bags and the saddlebags. Oh and yeah, oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and and quickly moved into cutting lawns and uh, blowing snow. If you can imagine, uh, Drew, as you know, the, the audience doesn't know, I, I'm a whopping five foot one and a half, okay? Uh, but there I was on a 12 horse Strong power. as a bull, though. <laughs> Strong as a bull, yeah, that's been a kind of a strength of mine, no pun intended. Uh, I spent, you know, here I was on a John Deere 12, 12 horsepower a tractor cutting all the lawns in the neighborhood and plowing all the snow. It was must have been hilarious because there's this peanut kid sitting on this big tractor <laughs> going around. But um, yeah, uh, the work ethic fun. was, it was uh, really important. Um, then when I was about 12, I started going to work with my grandpa on Sundays. Uh, he was a very interesting guy and very influential to me. Uh, he's the one who taught me about saving. He said, we used to drive to work every Sunday and, you know, kind of, he was a depression uh, child. So he grew up in that with a large family. And he says, hey, Andy, you need to put 10% of everything you make away for that rainy day. And uh, that stuck with me. And that's actually paid tremendous dividends over the time. But yeah, I used to work at, uh, at the, actually the South Athletic Club. You were saving in your teens. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I always saved. Um, but, you know, I started in the laundry room and I used to work in the basket room and hand out the, the guy's gear. But one of the interesting things, and this has been a theme throughout my life, is uh, my, my grandfather ran the exercise uh, centers at these clubs. So he had about 12, usually, tables. And at, and at 12 years old, I would run exercises for people from about what, 20. What was it? What's a table? I guess. So uh, instead of being on the floor like we are with mats, he would have a, a table that was raised up that you would get on. It was a kind of a padded table. He had these 12 tables that he built himself. He was a tool and guy guy and he built okay. these tables. They'd be in the exercise area. They'd pop up on the table and I would run them through exercises when he was teaching private classes. So there's this little kid, like I said, about four foot, nothing uh, directing 20 to 80 year olds for an hour making corrections, motivating them, teaching them how to do these exercises, you know, hour after hour. Well, to this day, it's kind of funny, but I play golf with two guys, one's 80 and one's 83. And they're amazing guys. And they're kind of like, kind of like my idols. Like, I hope I can be doing that when I'm that old. Right. But uh, it's always been something for me about being, working with older people and feeling comfortable about that. And so from that perspective of work ethic, I've always, I think, been more on the mature side. Um, And the other piece that goes into that is practicing delayed gratification. So I talked about kind of saving 10% of everything I make. I also never purchased anything because I paid for all, usually all my own stuff. I mean, I started paying for my guitar lessons when I was eight, uh, to give you an idea. Um, yeah. is if I didn't have the money and, I, and that meant money after I put my savings away, 
I just didn't get it. And I, I think that's, I think that's really important. I try to instill that in my kids, but I don't think well, everybody I mean, really, gets that, you know, <laughs> that's the only way you're ever going to retire. Right. Right. There's no other path, right? Well, I guess maybe Bitcoin. <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, there are paths, but it's like a, it's almost like a lottery, I think. Well, let me tell um, let me tell you another phrase that my grandpa taught me. He goes, and and you, I think you've heard this, and it is, um, you know, if you're not making money while you're sleeping, Drew, then you're poor. And here's why. I, I remember you saying that at your dad's eulogy, actually. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's interesting because. Um, the human tendency is to spend up to what you make. And right. so unless you're working every single hour, that's not good. But how do you make money when you're sleeping? Well, you can make money in the stock market. That's one way to do it. Uh, other investments, um, you can have a team. Just simple compounding interest. Yeah, compounding interest. But, um, but you can also have a team that you don't have to do everything, but your team is doing it so you get some benefits of a team effort, right? Right. And, um, I know you have a question down the road on that, so we'll, we'll get to that concept. I do. I do. Yeah. yeah. So we're on your career. So yeah. you've, uh, you're exercising, um, you're helping your grandpa with his business. Right. right? And then, uh, you know, put myself through school. And uh, when I was in school, interestingly enough, uh, my dad was an electrician uh, by trade. He became a master contractor. But in his later years, he uh, started doing more industrial electrical work. So he worked at... Um, he worked at Burroughs Corporation, interestingly enough, which really got me into the computer business. And he would travel, you know, as people needed different things within the big Burroughs building downtown, as you, and you know that building well. Now it's the Henry right. Ford building. Um, he, would, he's a, he was a very charismatic guy. He would meet different people. Well, he met a gentleman who uh, ran the entire Midwest region for Burroughs Corporation. And he had shared that I had some interest in potentially, you know, going into computers or engineering and possibly looking at University of Michigan. Well, this guy was a big University of Michigan guy. Uh, and so interestingly enough, he, I, I went and I met him and uh, he offered me an internship and uh, I, I couldn't do it that particular year because I'd already committed to marching in a drum corps. But the following year, I took him up on it, and it turned out he got sick. And so I sent him a card in the hospital and, you know, to see how he was doing and wish him best, best wishes. And when I, the next summer when I came back, I interned at Burroughs Corporation. And that really set me down the path to being computers. That was a big break, wasn't it? That, that was a great break. And, and you know what? You need breaks. Uh, you can be as smart as, as a whip. You can work as hard as you want. But there is a lot to be said for being in the right place at the right time and, and catching a break. So I started as an intern. Um, and interestingly enough, it was just about the time when, um, you know, PC computers were starting to come. So in, in high school, we got our Commodore PET was the first computer. I think we got it in, our, in my senior year. So that was the first exposure to computers. Uh, then in college, you know, we, we had some, uh, some apples, and I, I programmed on a TRS. I saw mainframes. Uh, uh, well, in, in college, we didn't even have a mainframe where I went to college at Hillsdale College. But um, uh, I programmed and learned how to program on a TRS-80, a Radio Shack TRS-80, right? I remember that one, And we sure. were programming in BASIC and uh, just by way of uh, what I did. I was a double major in math and marketing, and I thought I was going to do engineering, but I didn't. Um, and I did. Sounds like a pretty great uh, degree choice. Are you happy with your choice? Yeah. The education? Uh, um, 
So it's interesting. I am very happy. It gave me a strong analytical and personal and uh, business background, which I think uh, served me very well. I will say, and it, it's funny how things happen, uh, what turned me from going down the engineering path was something very interesting. And, and when I look back at it now, I may have been totally off on it, but it is what it is. That's, those are the cards that I played. So uh, I had taken a, a physics class, and it was not uh, advanced physics, meaning like a third or fourth year physics, but it was the advanced for the beginning physics. So there was like the general one, and then there was those right. that had a calculus background, and Wrong I did. Math. Right. right. Yep. So I took this class, and there was, I don't know, maybe maximum 10 people in this class, and it was graded on a curve. And it was so difficult. And I'm telling you, these people were just whiz bangs. And so one of the things that I had to do was I had to go and meet with that TA once or twice a week and really get the extra studying. And because it was graded on a curve. And that was one of the most proud moments I had because I actually ended up pulling a B out in that class. And believe me, at the beginning of that, it, it wasn't happening. So that was so demanding for me. And maybe other stuff came easier. But I thought I equated physics with engineering and thought, eh, maybe this isn't for me. So I ended up pursuing the math degree and the business degree, and that, and that served me well. So I was at Burroughs, did the internship, uh, came out of school, and they offered me a job right away. Not only did I work the summer, but they invited me back. We had a month off during the holiday season, and they invited me back because I actually learned uh, – the accounting program for these mini computers that no one else knew. So as an intern, I was teaching the regular folks that. And so that was a, kind of a cool skill set I had, which was sales, but also technical understanding. And, and that's, you, knew you know, the product. There, yeah, yeah, there are right. those that just are good at sales and are those are good at technical. And I, I did have the knack to kind of blend those. So then that evolved into true account management at Burroughs, where I sold mainframes uh, to local government. Uh, I think I sold the first Unix box in Michigan, which was kind of interesting, uh, and that that was a new oh, a that's new area. Super cool. uh, and then from there, met some. Uh, I met one of my best friends. They were crossing the chasm then, from mainframes to Unix boxes. We right? Really, yeah. We went from yeah. Uh, uh, client. We were we went from mainframes. We were starting to do the client server computing and the PC computing. So you know, and that's when oh God, I, what's the name? Um, what's the name of the computer company that? Uh, smaller, like the VAX, what was the... Uh, digital. Digital, yeah. Digital was becoming very big that right. back then, and Unix boxes and stuff. But, you know, that's where we met our mutual friend, John. Uh, and I, interestingly enough, when I went on full-time, uh, we went to training together. And uh, that's where we struck up our friendship. Well, John moved on. Back when they really used to train people, too. Oh, yeah. We they went really for, spent time training people, companies. They, you would spend two months doing pre-work. You'd go out for a month. They'd, like We went out to, uh, to Melbourne, Pennsylvania. We spent a month out there with 30 people. I mean, they were our classmates. And then we trained for a month. We, uh, we'd come back. We'd have to train for the next series of courses. Then we'd go back and do another one. Uh, it, was, it was intense. Burroughs had the best training program. They were like, I mean, whether you went to IBM, whether you went to, uh, whether you went to Sperry or, or Honeywell, I mean, Burroughs seemed to train everybody. And then at that time, IBM really was the dominant player, but Burroughs did quite well. And when we were there, it became Unisys, which was when Sperry Rand okay. merged with Burroughs. So. Okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's curious where that went. Yeah. So, uh, you know, met, uh, met John there and, uh, John ended up leaving there and going to a, um, a smaller company, a local company in Michigan that was a reseller. And as it turned out, I ended up leaving there and I went to a software company out of Cincinnati that was the, was a supplier to his company. And they actually, his company was the largest, um, user and seller of that software well then they developed their own software and uh they kind of courted me and brought me over so i became their product manager so once again i went from this large company training to a smaller company uh where we killed it there which was great uh and then from there john uh john left and went to oracle and uh where we met that's right in a short period of time, I went over there, and that's where you and I met. And boy, that was—that must have been what 20, over twenty years ago, or something like that. I think it was—I think it was ninety-three when I joined Oracle. So yeah, our mine was uh, oh boy, ninety-five. Yeah, ninety-five. 96. Ninety-five. Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, God, when we think back of the people that we met so at we Oracle, that's a few more than twenty years. Yeah, that we. <laughs> <laughs> that we in on 30. <laughs> that we met that we have stuck together with i mean we've really formed some good teams uh we did. and could count on each other but really i think more than that we we, we became friends and family uh i mean the, the trips that we traveled on so from burroughs to uh to going into um to go to oracle and then from oracle uh ended up I took a small hiatus and worked for a small company in a new area uh, that was developing that was developing CGI, and I right. uh, got to learn that it was it was interesting. Still in the automotive space because at uh, Oracle I ran the Ford Motor Com- I ran the uh, I owned the Ford Motor Company account worldwide, and literally that was a that was a life changer for me. We did some of the biggest deals that were ever done. In fact, uh, I think John and I were the number you know one or two salespeople and uh, people in uh you know in oracle out of fourteen thousand salespeople. Uh one of the things I'm most proud of is we You guys we had actually, incredible achievements. Yeah. Absolutely have, outstanding. Yeah, we, we run uh we were quite blessed. We run uh two president's clubs as well as some other club trips. So so that was neat. Um and then from there, like I said, did that small stint and as I was, when I went to the small company, uh, they asked me to write their business plan because they were they were a very small art retouch shop for like automotive magazines. Uh, they would do the retouch on the cars and stuff. Well, now things are moving to CGI, so they could take commer- they could do commercials where they would have to take a car and literally fly it up on top of a mountain to show the ruggedness of a truck or something like that. Now you just drop, right. you take the CGI with the CAD and drop it in any background you want. And these guys were one of the first in the uh, in the area to do that, but they didn't have a business plan. So with my background, I was able to write the business plan. They liked what I did. I was just as a consultant, so they hired me on, and I, I became part of the management team, and then even started to do sales. And the funniest thing was I was making a call right in the building next door to where John was at Microsoft, and I stopped in to say hi, and that very day, his vice president was in, and he said, he, he's, I, I'm sitting in his office. He walks in the door, turns around, walks out, grabs the guy. He goes, this is the guy I was talking to you about last night at dinner. <laughs> and uh, yeah. one thing led to another. And uh, then I was at Microsoft. And that was, you know, a phenomenal 16-year career. 
and very different from Oracle. And I think you can appreciate that, Drew. I mean, you understand the difference in the in really the temperament, but uh, it was it was quite a ride we went through too. I mean, uh, you know, when we joined Microsoft, it was I'm a Mac, I'm a PC, and there was the Windows Phone. There was there was a lot of challenges to where it's at today, which is unbelievable. Right. It was definitely not the enterprise-grade company that it is today. I mean, SQL was still used for small projects. People were still right. running servers under their desk with no uh, checks and balances to a corporate system. It was system. still <laughs> mostly Windows and Office, too. It really was. Time. It really was. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the last thing I'll say about that, and we, we could talk about more if you'd like, but is, you know, I, I started as in management, and we had a very unique situation there because uh, Microsoft was not really verticalized at the time. As you said, we were really just selling Windows and Office. But they thought that it would be more beneficial to uh, go into, you know, industries and verticals. And so uh, John actually took over the geography as well as the uh, automotive vertical. And I came in then as what they called the BMO, the Business Marketing Operations Manager. And so it's, it was never done before. We were literally doing both the geography and the vertical. And I'm brand new to this thing. And uh, I'll tell you something that's really funny. I'm a firm believer in, in setting your intentions and the law of attraction. We'll talk a little bit more right. about that. Um, when I uh, left Oracle, I said, I want to make a lot of money and I don't want to have to work very hard. Well, I got into that, that situation with that other company and I kid you not, I could do that job in about two and a half days a week. The and CGI was, company. The CGI company. And because yeah, of yeah, that, yeah. I said, you know, I, I need to take on a little bit more. That's when I added the sales because the other part was pretty easy and I was making pretty good money. You know, I'd come off some phenomenal years. I mean, life-changing years. Uh, sure. You know, at Oracle, which literally set me up to be able to retire early. So, uh, uh, you know, I think that, that that was a very thankful thing. But um, so the next job, as it turned out, it took me six months minimum to feel comfortable in that new role. There was the BMO job. The BMO at job. There so was difficult, so right? much to learn. I mean, right. even the vocabulary and the acronyms was. You know, that could take uh, you a the, month. The workload was intense. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And so we were doing new things and uh, we were really building a culture. And I think that's one of the things you recognize. We built a brand new enterprise grade sales culture that had never really been done at Microsoft. It was it was almost an order taking company at the time when we joined. And then we started to get into this, you know, enterprise grade software between you know, the uh, networking software and the, uh, and the database software. And there was a big change in how you had to approach the accounts. And, and I was glad to say that I was a part of that culture of uh, teaching it and learning it and, you know, trying to move along. Growing the companies for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So in, incredible career. And, and when you think about it, if we take a step back and say, by the time you retired, you'd work close to 50 years continuously. Yes. Yes. Saving at least 10% every year continuously. And in some of those years, I'm sure it was more than 10%. A lot more than 10%. A, yeah. It was a pretty good chunk. So it, it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort to get there. Um, so I just want to recognize and appreciate and applaud <laughs> that. Um, 
let me let me ask you this: like, what do you what do you miss about work now that you're retired? I think I missed the people, um, sure. the excitement of doing. And this is going to sound funny. Uh, the excitement of doing the big deals when it's positive and we're working together with the customer and we're we're there to reach a common goal, which is really help them achieve their goals, and at the same time then achieving our sales goals, and then in turn feeling good about uh, myself and the team that did that, as well as getting the financial rewards. However, in saying that, the amount of stress and anxiety and dealing with uh, all the things you deal with at a customer, uh, I do not miss whatsoever. And there's no question in my mind. I, I, I kind of call myself right now unemployable. I, I don't think I could go back and work for somebody else, right? I love that phrase. Yeah, I, I just, right. I, I'm kind of past that. I'm past right. the tediousness. Yeah. And, and, you know, right. it's interesting when, uh, quite honestly, and Drew, you know this, because we helped build sales cultures, and we did the biggest deals that were ever done at, at Oracle and, and Microsoft, you know. And, and uh, you know, we had some new management come in, and they came in. My opinion is I, I thought they thought they knew how to reinvent the wheel. And, and really, we had, in, we had already been through the multiple cycles of inventing the wheel. And uh, I just don't uh, – I didn't feel like going backwards and having to prove myself again was the way it was going to work. Uh, I thought I had set things up to be successful, but – there was there was a lot of turnover, as you know, all the right. way up to the highest levels right. in the corporation. And every year they reorganize, yeah. and yeah, it can be tricky for sure. I like that. I think of myself as almost unemployable because that kind of goes to my other questions about like side hustle or going back to work. So mm -hmm. I th I think you, I think you nailed that. Let me ask you one last question in this section here, like um, so, and it's really two. But w what advice do you have for young folks starting their career? I'll start there. Yeah. Um, I, th I think um, the first thing is always do the right thing. You, you do not want to have to go to bed at night having your stomach upset or losing sleep because you're not doing the right thing. And by doing the right thing, that also means um, putting in the necessary time to accomplish the goals that you want to accomplish. And that is different That's for part everybody. That's the right thing. Yeah, right? that is, that is yes. very different. I love that. Um, I have the uncanny ability to literally go for two, sometimes even three days on almost no sleep, okay? Right. Other yeah. people yeah, you... cannot do that. If, if they will just crash out and have to do that. So you need to understand your own strengths and uh, and then maximize those strengths. And then the other thing is you need to recognize other people's strengths and take advantage of those. I think that's I think that really is important. Uh, build partnerships with people. Build par you cannot do it, just, it all. It just makes the journey more fun, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, you know I, I got to interject a story like um, so. So I've got an engineering background. I've always been kind of. I feel like uh, I feel like I'm not very well rounded. I've always read a lot, and for for business training, I read Warren Buffett's annual letters for like 
40 years or something like that. I went back and I read them all. And it's amazing how often he is calling out in those letters, often specific names of people that have cheated in business and accounting and their approach to doing things. And, you know, you like to think that, you know, maybe when you get to a certain level of business and, you know, certainly in this country where rule of law is strong, that, that people will do the right thing, but, but they won't. It, it, it happens commonly. I don't think it's like the majority of people uh, do wrong, but it happens enough. So I would agree with you, like, never take that temptation. You know, we're watching Ozarks right now, and it's like, oh, yeah, why, why, why did you bite that apple? That's just so dumb. Don't do it. You don't need to. Just yeah. save 10% of what you make. And don't, you, don't cheat. You know what's interesting is um, people do that. I don't know how they live with themselves, you know. I, I don't mean, either. At the highest levels. I mean, even what we're seeing today with what's going on with Russia and what we've seen in the yeah. past and everything, it, it's tough. You know, it, it's switching gears just slightly, and then I want to come back to uh, a couple more things on the young folks, but sure. politics is tough. And politics just doesn't mean government. There are office politics. And uh, I, I alluded to it a little bit before. You get that new manager, that new manager. I was blessed because John came in and he brought me in. He brought you in. He brought Alan in. He brought in a lot of people that he knew could do the job, right, uh, based on that. Well, that's exactly what happened to me. Someone higher up came in. They brought in their crew. They wanted to continue to bring in their crew, you know, right. and, and – um, and so that was different, but there's compromise at, uh, within politics and office politics. And then there's just not doing the right thing or, uh, which, which is really, really kind of interesting. So, um, it's tough. There, there's a balance between that, but I, I, it doesn't pay to cross the line. So, you know, you said what, what advice for young people? One of the things is, yes. is save 10% of everything you make. Uh, and, and practice delayed gratification. If you can't pay for it, you don't go into the hole to pay for it just so you can have it now. That's, I think, one of the major problems with society. And, and uh, as we know, in 2008, the banks and everybody supported that. So they let people get into debt and get over their heads. And that caused, really, I think, well, a breakdown. Our own of government our sets that example, too, not to, not to go on a tirade, but our own government is insolvent. Oh, yeah. Exactly, exactly. The other thing I would say is find an outlet to release your stress and ground yourself. Um, meaning, for me, it's always been athletics. I've always had a workout. If I've been frustrated, I need to do that. I think sleep is really crucial. You need to find your sleep quotient that works for you. Uh, if you don't do it, you just won't be charged. I also think, uh, you know, diet and nutrition. So how how much do way. you sleep? Um, so I'm best at seven to eight hours. Yeah, I can too. do a lot less. If I do more, I get lethargic. All right. Okay. So seven to eight is good. Do you set an alarm or do you just pop up? Um, if I, if I don't have to be up early, well, it, it, it's a combination of go to bed at the right time and, and getting up early. So when I, I cycle in the morning on several days. Uh, sometimes I'm up at quarter to six, sometimes I'm up at six and it just depends where the ride starts. Cause I okay. ride to my ride. Um, if I go to bed at nine thirty ten, I will naturally probably wake up 
just before my alarm goes, and that'll be perfect. If I go to bed at 11, 11.30, <laughs> then that alarm's going to wake me up because that's my last kind of hour of REM, and I'm going through it. So that's kind of right, how it works right. for me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, the other thing right, – Anything else for young folks? Yeah. yeah. Uh, take your time on making major decisions, especially, <laughs> I would say, this isn't career-wise, but getting married. Um, it's the biggest decision you'll make in your life. It is, you know, and I would strongly suggest living. Look who I have here. I would hey. strongly suggest living with, uh, living with your future spouse for a year because you don't know that person until you live with them. I don't care whether right. it's a, a, a roommate or whatever, but you find out everything. And if that's the person for you, then you'll know it. Um, but much is disguised in the courting period, right? We all have our best faces on. I love that line. Right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. And then, as I said, take care of your physical, mental, and spiritual needs first so that you're happy and stable, and then you can help others. If you aren't, it just compounds. You will be crushed. You have to have that balance of physical, mental, and spiritual to be most effective. And then lastly, I would say find a job that makes you happy and doesn't feel like work. Otherwise, it's just kind of drudgery. Otherwise, it, it, you know, here is an example. Uh, I don't care whether you went to bed at midnight. If you're a golfer and someone says, hey, I need to get up at 6 to play, you are up and you are ready to go. Or ride your right. bike or go right. see a concert or whatever it is, there's no problem. But if you got eight hours of sleep, and you have to get up and you're going to work and you know there's something about work that day that's going to be miserable, then you're not going to feel good about it. So when work feels like fun, then you've, you've hit the jackpot because then you're going to fun every day and it's also allowing you to get the financial rewards you need, but also the, the connections with the people and so forth. So those, those would be my I, key I, things. I love that. I'll, I'll just add on to that and say, like, you know, so I, there was a period in my career where I left Ford Motor Company, right? Right. And that was... It was kind of the gravy train, right? There was retirement. There was a whole path for you almost. And um, it was one of the best moves I ever made, moving, moving to Oracle um, from Ford. But, you know, in this day and age, you save for your own retirement. And you do that through self-discipline and tax advantage savings, 401k, et cetera. You can make changes. And it's often early in a career for young folks the best way that you can get a raise, actually, and increase your um, your skills and your, you know, the scope of your role because if you stay in the same role um it's tough to get promoted it's tough to get more than four or five percent bump a year um so it's kind of often required to move along in your career to make some changes and thankfully with the structure that we have these days you aren't handcuffed so much yeah and that's really interesting and as someone who actually you know had to hire people uh there there's the right balance of moving on if i saw people moving on, moving on, moving on, right? or especially company to company to company, that was kind of a red flag to me. If I saw people, uh, you know, at least have maybe two years, but was moving to different positions, that showed growth and progress, right? Uh, and someone that was somewhat loyal, but was being recognized for the good work they did, otherwise they wouldn't be moving. But there is a balance to that. And if you want the big jumps, in other words, it's, it, think about sports right if you have a if you're batting 350 in a year and you're at the end of your contract that's a great time to be shopping right. around as a free agent right if if you're just 
average, you know, probably not going to work for you. So there are key times you have to pick. Um, Because the days of loyalty to a company till you retire just point out there. And I will say this. (laughs) This is another lesson learned. Corporate America is not loyal to you. Don't ever think that they are. It's true at the highest. I mean, Jack Welch got fired. We know many high executives that got fired. It's, it's what have you done for me lately? And if new management comes in and there's not a, a synchronicity there, you're going to be out the door. And you'll recognize that. Pretty all that happens the more to me. reason. Yeah. All the more reason to be not, I'm sorry to cut you off, no. to be saving that 10%, be ready, prepare yourself. Because when you get to be our age, um, I think it gets trickier. Oh, for regards. sure. Yes, yes, you are. Yeah. You are correct. Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, we, we've mentioned it several times, save 10 percent. But really what you want to get to um, is to have if you can get to at least a year's income in the bank, then right. if the worst thing happens, you're good, whether it's a, a sickness of a family member, whether it's uh, a COVID-19 that puts an entire company that you might be at out of work. Like with, with my son who was in the travel business, all of a sudden there's no travel. Well, you know, what was he going to do? Um, thank God, you know, he had parents that could, could help him. Yeah. The but, owners uh, of the company aren't going to dip into their savings. Yeah. That loyalty is not there. Yeah, you know? definitely not. No. Although yeah. it's interesting over the years on smaller companies, I have seen uh, some folks do that you know, to support sure. a company through rough times, but it was their company, right? And their people, not a, not a uh, publicly owned company. Yeah. Well, well, I tell you what, it's a incredible career, Andy. And I understand why um, after all those accomplishments and after almost 50 years of working, why you're pretty much unemployable, <laughs> <laughs> You know, which is, which is super cool. I will tell you, uh, I'm actually flying out today to uh, go to one of my best friend's uh, places. I've been uh, emceeing a gymnastics meet for about... This is your buddy in Idaho, right? Yeah, yeah for about 10, 11 yeah. years. So uh, my, both my kids were college gymnasts. I've been around gymnastics a long time. I love it. It's fun. Uh, I've never asked for a cent. He usually you know, gives me a little something for the effort or pays my plane fare sure. or whatever. But he also has a very high-end restaurant out there, which when I go out there, I help him out with that. But I never, and these are long days. I mean, we'll start working at 10 and we go to 10 at night, nonstop. I always come back in great shape because uh, we'll get up in the morning, we'll mountain bike, and then we'll start at 10 and go to 10. But I'm not eating a lot and I'm on my feet the whole time. But it's not work, as I said. It's fun because I'm with one of my best friends. I'm meeting people, which I love people, and I'm learning something new, and we're just having a good time. So, you know, I'm not employable to the extent of, uh, you know, really going back to a solid job, but it's not that I don't like to work or do charity work or whatever. Yeah, that's you the know? interesting thing. Yeah. I think some people think, you know, once I get this nest egg, then I'm going to lose all motivation to work. It's clearly not there with you. It's just, it's got to be something that's not work. Yeah, something right. interesting and something fun. Something that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's cool. I think, I think, um, let, 